Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today we are having the honor of baptizing Charlie Federance, who is going to embrace with his family as support and all of us as a community of support this life in Christ. But I wonder, will it be enough for Charlie when he's older to simply say, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today is the last Sunday of the church year, and for about 90 years, only about 90 years now, it has received the title of Christ the King. It was a title for this Sunday that originated out of the Roman Catholic tradition at a time when totalitarian regimes and fascism was on the rise in Europe. At a time when the human capacity for control and power was approaching its apex and was magnified by the advances in technology and warfare to terrifying heights, the church decided to come out with a reminder at least once a year that Christ is King. Or, as our spiritual ancestors would have said in the first century, Jesus is Lord. Because, of course, the subtext for that in the first century was, Caesar is not. A dangerous thing to say? You better believe it. A dangerous thing to reflect on? Absolutely. But it's not just dangerous for people living in fascist states at the beginning of the 20th century or for early Christian communities struggling on the edges of empire in the first century. It is a statement for all time, even for little Charlie who is about to be baptized. But what does it mean? After all, we are Americans, and we don't have kings. We took care of that in the revolution, remember? We don't have kings. So what does it mean for us to say, Christ is king? We don't have lords either, so what does it mean to say, Jesus is Lord? What do we do when we look to our leaders? whether they are lords or kings or presidents or senators or congresspeople or mayors or people who sit on boards or rectors wearing funny clothes. What do we look to them for? Sometimes the danger for us is that we look to them to help make us comfortable. And in fact, that's often what we expect our leaders to do. They are to protect and safeguard the boundaries of our towns and our countries and our laws and our tax codes and our bank accounts and our property to make sure that we remain comfortable. 
We also expect them sometimes to tell us nice things about ourselves and how good we're being and how we might remain faithful to whatever creed or order that we hold to. But you see, Jeremiah in today's Old Testament reading was talking to a people about leaders who had done just that. They had told the Israelites that they were okay and to be comfortable. They were being told nice things about themselves and that everything would be okay, even though the Babylonian captivity was on its way. Jeremiah had the terrible job of having to be the sore guy in the room. He was the one who had to tell people, no, things are not on track. And the shepherds that you have so relied on, who have told you things to make you comfortable, are in fact unreliable shepherds. And we are in trouble. It's a terrifying teaching, and it gets Jeremiah in terrible trouble. But it gives us the first clue about what it means to hold up Christ the divine as king, over and against all other leaders who will do their utmost to make us safe and comfortable. Jump ahead a number of centuries, and we have this letter attributed to Paul, written to the community in Colossae, a little Christian community. And somebody has come to Colossae under the auspices of Christian leadership and has brought all of these philosophies common in the Mediterranean as well into the mix and has in effect baptized the world and has tried to co-opt the Christian message to affirm that the Colossians are okay, to make them probably comfortable. Because that's what we've always done. We like to co-opt the Christian message to make us comfortable. The latter Roman Empire did that under Constantine. The kings throughout the Middle Ages did that. And we even hear it in our own day. There are curious versions of it in the American context. One is called the Prosperity Gospel. And believe it or not, there are churches in this country and communities gathered this morning that believe if you pray hard enough, you can get that shiny new car. No joke. We always are trying to co-opt Jesus to make us comfortable. Here, for instance, this rewriting of Colossians from a book by Brian Walsh and Sylvia Kiesman. In an image-saturated world, they write, a world of ubiquitous corporate logos permeating your consciousness, a world of dehydrated and captive imaginations in which we are too numbed, satiated, and co-opted to be able to dream of life otherwise. A world in which the empire of global economic affluence has achieved the monopoly of our imaginations. In this world, Christ is the image of the invisible God. In this world driven by images with a vengeance, 
Christ is the image par excellence, the image above all other images, the image that is not a facade, the image that is not trying to sell you anything, the image that refuses to co-opt you. Christ is the image of the invisible God. The image of God of flesh and blood here and now in time and history with joys and sorrows. The image of who God is. Christ the King comes to us today to draw us away from all the things that would co-opt us and take us over and rule us and lull us by a promise of making us comfortable. Which is why we close the church year with today's gospel. A surprising gospel for Christ the King because Jesus is on the cross at this point in a moment of complete humiliation and abandonment. And King here is used to mock him. He is on the cross, that profound symbol at the center of our faith, which is about the intersection of the way God wants things to be for us and the way things, the way we make things ourselves. It is the confrontation or intersection, if you will, of the divine will with our often violent tendencies and our tendencies to co-opt and do awful things. Luke boils down his beautiful narrative to this passage where Jesus has a dialogue with the two criminals who are with him. This is the only gospel where this happens. And in this place, Luke discloses the profound question that the cross raises for each of us in our lives, the profound questions that it will even raise for Charlie as he grows up. Because if you look closely, you see the first criminal says to Jesus, Be the Messiah we expect you to be. Save yourself and save us too. In other words, make us comfortable. Make me feel okay about myself, Jesus. Get me out of this suffering place. That's what the Messiah was expected to do for all of Israel. The Messiah was expected to throw out the Romans and make the Israelites comfortable and set a new king who would reign forever. And here is this promised Messiah on the cross, executed by the very powers he is supposed to overthrow. But it is the second criminal who sees Jesus through the eyes of faith. And he recognizes, first of all, his own failings. In a way, he says, I deserve to be here because I'm a criminal. But then he recognizes that Jesus is there 
to not only overthrow all the earthly powers and principalities, but to overthrow death itself. And to show forth God's new way of being that is beyond the ways of violence and control and warfare and all of the things we use to protect our own comfort. Jesus does not come to make us comfortable. Sorry, I'm not selling that. If you want to buy that, there are other places to sell it. That's not what we sell here. Jesus instead confronts our ways of protecting our own comfort and the ways that we violate one another and the creation with that and invites us into a new way of being in community and in fellowship with God. This faithful criminal at Jesus' side says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus responds to him in a way that says, you know what? Remembering isn't going to be enough for me, for you, or for God. Rather, he says, today you will be with me. He offers him that divine love that we are all offered, that divine love which is offered to Charlie this day, that divine love that is at the foundation of paradise. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.